This isn't planned, but I am actually going to be preaching on faith and money. Um, so, yeah, I hope it stirs our hearts. Um, but listen, I'm going to pray, um, and then we'll just get straight into it. Um, Lord, this afternoon we need you. Lord, we recognise that, uh, Lord, without you this... Lord, this whole thing is purposeless, Lord, but thank you, God, that you bring direction. Lord, you bring clarity. Um, Lord, you bring purpose into our life. Lord, thank you that you redeemed us. Lord, thank you that you turned our lives around, Lord, and you have stepped in and you transformed us and you are continuing to transform us. And Lord, we pray that as we delve into your word this afternoon, Lord, we pray that it would be living and active. Lord, we pray that it would uh, pierce our hearts, Lord, and that we would um, glean from it all the goodness all the treasures, all the mysteries that you have for us. And Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear this afternoon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Well, as I say, uh, this afternoon I'm preaching on faith and money. Um, We're currently in the middle of a faith series, um, and so we uh, are week two in um, looking at faith and and money this week. Steph looked at faith, what is our faith in um, last week, or rather who is our faith in last week. Um, and this week we're going to be looking at faith, and I deliberately called it faith and money um, rather than faith for money. Um, as, as a church, uh, there, are in, there will be individuals in this room that have particular gifts of faith for money. Um, that can be quite a specific thing in terms of believing God for lots of resources to steward well, to steward um, in a way that honours him and to um, be very effective for the kingdom. Um, But the reality is that all of us have resources to some degree um, and therefore we need to mix that with our faith and understand how our faith then impacts even the little that we might have or the much that we might have. And so I've deliberately called it faith and money rather than faith for money um, this afternoon. And I hope that will become evident as we work through... um, this afternoon. Um, very often when you talk about money, um, various groups in the church tend to switch off. Um, maybe you've been around churches that talk about money a lot, um, and that's not us, I would just say that. Uh, this is probably the first time we've been very intentional um, about speaking about money since we started eight years ago. Um, so they're, they're, we don't have a strong track record of that um, over the years, but over this week and maybe the subsequent couple of weeks, then um, actually you'll probably hear about money more more than, um, more than usual. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing um, because churches have also got tended to go the other way and not talk about it too much. And that's really where I think we've probably been, where we haven't really addressed the issue and therefore haven't really equipped people in how to steward the finances, the resources that God's blessed you with, God's blessed us with, and how we then work that out together. Sure, we've done it one-on-one um, in discipleship groups with um, individuals, but actually to do it corporately as a church and look at the thing together um, and have everybody working this stuff through together um, is really valuable um, and important. I will just say that this afternoon I probably will not answer all of your questions. Um, I will not necessarily deal with all of the details as we work through. Um, It's a massive um, topic um, and in fact Jesus speaks about money a lot throughout his ministry through the three years on earth and so there's a lot of work to be done um, with those passages so I I won't necessarily cover everything um, on the way through but I will follow hopefully um, a fairly logical thought process that tracks 
through really what I believe is one of the foundations of how we view money, of how we view um, what God's blessed us with um, and things like that. I, I, I would just say that I speak to myself as much as anybody else here. Um, none of us are experts with this stuff. We're all still learning, um, although we might have professional qualifications that might certify certain things. To mix it with faith is a very different game. To mix it with an element of faith where actually um, looks beyond just the natural is a very different um, type of approach to money and approach to finances. Um, I'll sh- I'm going to share a couple of um, quite well stories um, from us as a church, but also from myself over the last few, um, few years, um, just to kind of help you set a bit of a, help set a bit of a context, so you can understand a little bit of where we're coming from. Um, so I remember uh, in November 2011, um, and we were uh, we were. We were running low uh, in terms of resources of church. We didn't have much in the bank. Um, and I can remember one week in particular, uh, we were looking to pay out the next month all of the salaries um, and everything, which uh, would have come to, I think, about at that time, about four, four and a half thousand. And we had about two thousand in the bank. Um, and so we had a, literally a week um, of which to find some money somewhere. Um, and to be honest, being uh, elders and not particularly confident, the only thing we really knew what to do was to pray. Um, and so we gathered together and we just spent an afternoon just praying together, seeking God and, 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 and really coming to him and saying, look, God, you've got, you've got to supply this need. You've got to meet this need. Um, and as a result, uh, that Friday, um, we had a gift aid come back in that we'd been waiting on for months um, and the gift aid then sustained us through um, and then um, and basically we were able to then pay the salaries we were able to continue um, as normal it was incredible what God did um, I can remember another time uh, chatting with a friend of mine who's also a pastor um, and he was just saying how are things going um, and I can remember it was January and I said to be honest I said we ended the last year with 200 pounds in the, in the account and that, that was the reality. And he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, it's a good question. What are we doing? And the reality is we live in an expensive part of London. We have high costs. And yet we've come. None of, none of us, I don't think, necessarily came with any particular kind of resources. It wasn't like we had particular one or two engines of the church that were kind of funding this thing. It was literally just a bunch of people thrown together. It was an unlikely army, which is what God spoke to us prophetically about in the early days. Um, and yet God's been faithful month on month, year on year. God has been 100 percent faithful to us as a church and I want you to understand that that's that's part of our history that's a part of where we're coming from on this this is a journey that we're traveling um, and it's a journey of faith uh, that we're believing God for Um, personally um, in my own life I know uh, Tanika and I when we first got married moved to London we didn't have jobs we didn't have a place to stay initially um, and uh, I can remember counting out a penny collection um, so that we could afford uh, to buy food for that week um, and things like that I can remember walking halfway across London because I couldn't afford a travel card right these are the realities this is a, this are the realities of living in London some of you will know what that's like um, some of you will know those difficulties those pains um, but some of you will never have known those and that's fine and as we look this afternoon we're going to look at how our faith plays into every single one of those um, contexts when we find ourselves in need and when we find ourselves in plenty by God's grace those things are seasonal 
God doesn't always call us to live in those places, but occasionally for individuals he gives us grace to do that. But for us as a church and in, in our own life, God hasn't given, uh, God hasn't has brought us out of that season, um, which is fantastic news. And that's not to say that he will never lead us into another season like that. But it should make us think, okay, now that I'm out of that season, what am I going to do? How am I now going to steward what God's given me and what he's blessed with me? Um, Because, you see, our contentment or our security shouldn't lie in necessarily whether we can or can't afford things. Our security um, should lie in God. Um, And so with that, we're going to turn to uh, Philippians 4. Uh, It will come up on the screen behind me. I'm going to turn to Philippians 4, verses 10 uh, to 13. Wonderful. Um, And this is Paul speaking. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. Uh, You have revived your concern for me, sorry. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had not opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, Now, Paul at this time was a traveling preacher. Um, He relied on support from other people, and he's writing to the Philippians who, uh, due to their own financial pressures, had to stop their funding um, or support of him and now I've just started it back up and so what he's writing to say is thank you that you've started to do that again um, but what he's saying is fundamentally it's not because I want you to give more or because I'm still in need what he's saying is actually I want you to understand that as generous as your gift is my confidence and my security doesn't rest in whether I have a lot or whether I have a little um, and so as we look through the New Testament I am going to pick a few um, kind of verses now but we will come back to this verse a little bit later on um, as we look at exactly what it was or what Paul describes as the secret of facing plenty and hunger what is that secret Um, and so uh, with that in mind uh, Jesus in Matthew 6 uh, verse 24 you may want to write it down it will come up Um, but in uh, yeah says that no one can serve two masters uh, for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and money speaking directly about worldly possessions about money he's saying you can't serve both Um, and Jesus essentially draws this parallel where's your confidence where's your trust where's your security is it in the fact that you have money or is it in the fact that you trust in God you cannot serve both you can't have a foot in both camps um, because that doesn't really work and it's not just money right you can't you can't serve two masters you can't give yourself to something else while at the same time trying to trust god you can't give yourself to something that is um completely all-consuming and completely uh, uh captivating of your time your energy your resources and at the same time serve god in a way that is effective in kingdom building now you can serve god in a way that is effective in kingdom building through those things but what he's fundamentally saying is you can't do the, bo- the two together and in this case he's talking primarily about money faith uh, serving God and serving money 
With that, it's also worth noting that as we uh, read through the New Testament, actually even within the church, uh, as the, ch- the early church emerges, there is this kind of um, this 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 kind of imbalance, as it were. There is um, some in the church that are particularly poor, some that are particularly rich, um, and we see that right the way through uh, the New Testament, right the way through the Acts, um, and actually right the way through church history, we see that that there are individuals in the church that have a lot, and individuals in the church that don't have a lot. Um, in Acts 2, it says that they were selling their possessions and giving to any as, as, as they had need, which I guess provides for us an example of what to do when we have plenty, when, to ha- when we have um, uh, lots. And then uh, Acts 6, it says that they were caring for the marginalized, so they were feeding the poor. In those days, um, it was particularly widows who were overlooked, widows who were uh, kind of pushed to the sidelines of society. Um, and it's probably worth us, uh, and I guess something we are constantly working through is who are are those marginalized groups in our society? Who are those that are being overlooked and pushed to the fringes? And who is it that needs care? And who is it that needs looking after? And who is it that needs to hear the message of Jesus? The interesting thing is, though, as we work through uh, the New Testament, and here uh, I'm going to pull up a few uh, kind of stories through the New Testament where Jesus talks directly about uh, money with people. So, um, the first one there is taken from Luke 21. Um, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The interesting thing is here, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus knows that numerically it doesn't stack up, right? She hasn't actually given more. She's just given two copper coins, um, which in that money counted to about a penny. Um, and, she, and she had just given this, whereas there were others that were coming along and just putting in large sums of money, um, and yet out of her poverty she had given. And Jesus, Jesus is looking at the heart in this instance, and we can see that really clearly. Um, next of all, um, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of oil so Jesus has gone to somebody's um, house for dinner um, and a woman comes up with an alabaster jar a very expensive ointment she poured it on his head as he reclined at table and when the disciples saw it they were indignant saying why this waste for this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor but Jesus aware of this said to them why do you trouble the woman for she has done a beautiful thing again Jesus isn't necessarily concerned with the numerical value Actually, it would have been very effective to have sold it and given it to the poor. There were lots of poor that would have been around them, um, that would have been following them. Um, And yet, Jesus is focusing in on this woman. He's saying, why are you having a go at her? What she's done is a beautiful thing. What she's done is, 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 the heart of what she's done is is worship. She's broken alabaster jar and she's anointed Jesus. Um, In another gospel, he makes allusion to his burial. Um, But uh, what he's saying is the heart of what she's done is an act of worship. It's a beautiful thing that she's done um if we flick over the page then um and there we go jesus said to him um if you would be perfect go and sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me when the young man heard this he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions he went away sorrowful because presumably he didn't go and sell all that he had and give it to the poor and what's jesus getting at not necessarily how much he's God. Jesus doesn't put a quantity on the amount that he has. What Jesus says is, go and sell it. 
give it, sell it and give it all to the poor. That's that because he, he's getting to the heart of the issue. It would have been easy for Jesus to say, "Fine, go and give away X amount," and the guy could have done it and probably would have made that in a year anyway, right? The point is that Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue. In every one of these circumstances, Jesus is getting to the heart of the problem. Um, And then at the bottom there, uh, Jesus tells a parable um, about talents. Um, A master gives several talents, one talent to one um, servant, uh, two to another, and then five to another. He asks them to then keep those until he returns. The one that has five uh, invests it and makes five more. The one that has two invests it makes two more. The one that has one fears that he's going to lose it and so buries it. And what does Jesus say when he comes back? Um, or what does the master say when he came back? The master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I had scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what is my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. There is something slightly baffling about Jesus' uh, dealings with money throughout the New Testament that just seems a little bit Countercultural and a little bit odd, um, in that he takes it from the one that has least and gives to the one that has most. Jesus' reasoning is that the one that has most has been faithful with what he's been given, and therefore give it to him that he would invest it again and be wise with what he's been given. Um, And it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't necessarily pick up on the imbalance in any one of these circumstances. What Jesus does do is he speaks directly into the heart of the issue. Um, I think this is really important when we understand faith and money. Because Jesus rarely tackles the actual imbalance, the actual um, kind of disparity of figures. Um, actually, what he does do is he, is he tackles the injustice or the sin that is there within the people's hearts. Um, and so for us, that's, that's, that's got to be, be a really key point where we start, right? Is where we start to actually question ourselves and start to look at ourselves and think, okay, well, what, what are the things in my heart... Um, that are getting a grip of my heart. Um, you see, when we start correcting the, the imbalance, if Jesus had just been saying, well, fine, we'll just apportion everything and we'll just set it all right and everything, um, then at that point, it, it, it's kind of much easier to do because you've got goals, right? You can then go, okay, fine, well, everybody should have da-da-da-da-da, total up, divide by the number of people, and there you go, right? That would be a lot easier to do. But actually, if, if Jesus did that, he wouldn't really be dealing with the heart of the issue. All he'd be doing is he'd just be tackling the uh, the imbalance that is already there. Um, it doesn't. Uh, so correcting the imbalance, if you like, deals with or at least specifies then duty for people to then do. Actually, dealing with the injustice, correcting the injustice that's there. Actually, what that does is it begins to speak to the heart of the issue. It begins to speak of the heart of the issue, which fundamentally is their identity, which is who they are and what they're about. You see, the the reality is both of these things end up in the same place, or should, eventually. If you tackle the imbalance, then everybody's on a level playing field. If you tackle the injustice, then... Technically, everybody should still be on the same level of playing field because people now want to give, want to um, give, want to serve one another, want to um, bless one another. Eventually, they kind of get to the same place, but the process in which they do that is very different indeed. One of them is about a sense of duty, and one of them is about a sense of service. 
Uh, we see a response from Zacchaeus. Um, if we jump over to the next slide. Um, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, um, it's interesting with Jesus' encounter with this guy Zacchaeus, we don't actually know what Jesus said. All we know is Zacchaeus' response. And this is Zacchaeus' response. I think given that Jesus hasn't tackled the direct amount initially, he's only ever dealt with the injustice, with the heart of the issue, with the sin issue that's there, um, then Zacchaeus uh, stood and said to the Lord, Behold, uh, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. This is a direct example of the over flow um, of, of, of knowing the forgiveness that, that comes, of knowing um, of, of, that Jesus tackles the heart and deals with the injustice, then there's an overflow of goodness, there's an overflow of blessing that comes. And to be honest, that's, that's one of the reasons we don't preach tithing in this church. Because you see, if you preach tithing, then all of a sudden you are setting an amount for people. You're now calling people to duty. You're calling people to then come under something. Ah, oh, okay, so now I have to do my 10%. I've got to do my da 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 da. Right? When actually, if we're called to be believers and we're called to steward what God's blessed us with and given to us, then actually, in 2 Corinthians, it says we give out of the abundance with which God has given us. We give out of the overflow um, that he's given to us. And within that, there comes a real freedom and there comes an incredible um, freedom to be able to give, to be able to bless, and to be able to operate in the freedom that God has designed for us, rather than following a list of rules and a list of regulations. And so this thing of identity then is really key. If, if, if Jesus is tackling the heart of, of, of the issue, then it really boils down to their identity. Who do, who do people, who do we, who do you and I say, that, who do we think we are in terms of what has God done in our hearts? The identity of who we are and therefore what we have being given out of that. Um, well, uh, if we have a look in Ephesians, um, Ephesians 1 says that we have been adopted uh, as sons and daughters. Uh, where are we? There we go. Uh, Ephesians uh, 1 verse 3. This unfortunately won't come up on the uh, slides behind me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We've been adopted into his family. Now the important thing is, what is that family? Well, that family is the church, and the Bible's clear that when Jesus died on the cross, that he died for our sin, and he bought us, and he adopted us into his family. We now receive, um, as it were, the family name. In fact, if we jump over to um, Ephesians 2, uh, the very next chapter, um, if we flick over a couple of slides, uh, yeah, one more. Perfect. Uh, Ephesians 2, the first uh, seven verses. Um, I know that says eight, but unfortunately it is the seven. Um, And from Ephesians 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of God, like the rest of mankind. 
But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Because we've been adopted into this family, because we've been brought into the inner courts, if you like, because we have been now seated with Christ, actually we have incredible access. We have incredible access to um, God, who is the King of Kings, who is the Lord of Lords. Steph last week spoke about the character of God and what that means, and just really just causing us to think about who is our faith in. He is the Lord of all. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is his. There's nothing that is uh, out of his control. Um, I'd like to illustrate this. Uh, if I could have two volunteers. Yes, Alex, the first braver. And Midday, perfect, wonderful. Um, welcome, my volunteers. Come on down. Um, awesome. I'm going to need two chairs. One sec. Sorry. All right. There you are. Alex, if you would like to sit on the chair. Um, when we think about being adopted, when we think about being brought into um, God's family, being a part of um, his, his, his people, um, we can often think of it in this kind of context. So midday, if you like, would be um, you or I, um, and Alex is going to play the role of God. Um, Nice. Um, at this point, Midday here uh, has uh, put his trust in Jesus. He's, he's wanted to become a disciple. He said, yes, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, all the way. Um, and very often when we think about being seated in heavenly places, this is what we think about. We think about Midday coming into um, the courts, about here, standing before God. Right? Standing before God, worshipping, adoring Him, being in His presence, enjoying all of that benefit. Um, the, the reality is, um, <laughs> Ephesians 2 says that we've been seated with Christ Jesus. Now, throughout the rest of the New Testament, we know that Jesus has been, has ascended and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now, here's the interesting thing. If that's true, then Midday doesn't just stand here. Midday comes all the way up and he sits at, pull up a pew, at the right hand of the Father, right? And this, this is us. No longer are we just in his presence. We are sat beside him who is on the throne. We are sat next to the one who has all dominion, all authority, all power, all rule, all reign. That's where we're sat. This gets slightly more profound when we think about it, really, because... Don't go anywhere, you guys. Um, because what that means is, in light of God's character, as Steph was talking last week, about the plenty of God, about the permission of God, about the power of God, the paternal nature of God, all of a sudden, Midday is brought into the inner courts. He sat on the throne next to God the Father because he's seated in Christ. I know figuratively it can be a little bit tricky to think about it sometimes, but he's been seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father. What that means now is when God thinks about injustice in the world and he wants to do something about it, he has all permission, 
all authority, all reign to be able to act. But what he does is he turns to Midday and says, what are we going to do about this? What are we, how are we going to tackle this injustice? How are we going to deal with this? And at that point, Midday has an incredibly privileged position. He has the ear of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who's saying, what are we going to do? How are we going to tackle this injustice together? How are we going to fight the greed, the sin? How are we going to deal with this together? Um, and ultimately, Midday knows his position. We all know our position, right? In and of ourselves, we have nothing to bring. We have very little, if anything, to bring to the table, right? We have nothing to our credit. There's no one righteous, not even one, Romans 3, right? But what does God do? He says, he says, how are we going to tackle this? How are you and I going to work this out? And Midday might suggest something like we've done over the years, maybe well, why don't we open CAP, right? Debt, debt counselling. Let's try and see people worked out of debt, set free from debt. How, like, maybe, maybe that's something that God wants to do, tackle that injustice, set people free from the trappings of debt. And God says, fine, here's the resources. God says, let's do it. Here you go, right? I, I received a letter from CAP this week. They've had four donors who have agreed to match Every single increase in donation over the next 12 months. That's phenomenal, right? That's blessing. That's God saying, here you go. Here's the money. Tackle injustice. Tackle poverty. Tackle those that are trapped by the cycle of debt. It might be that we say, well, hey, we've got some people in the church that actually have more, that have an abundance. Maybe we'll set up a 245 account, which is what we've done. You know, so that those that have got plenty can pay in, so that we can actually give to some of those that are, you know, don't, or in a season of need, or in a season of lack, and being able to provide and care for those people. Perhaps it's about the food bank. Each and every one of these things, God just goes, fine, there are the resources. And even as a church, we've known that over the years. God just goes, fine, here's the resources. Here's the resources. I want to bring you to a point of dependence on me, but here are the resources. If we won't waver, if we don't kind of half in, half out, if we're not kind of um, just messing around, really, then actually God's heart is for us. He's saying, what, how can we tackle this? God's, God's, God's plan, God's primary plan is through the church to tackle injustice. Now, that's a weighty calling. Praise God, it's not on me, right? Because I, I, I couldn't do it. But actually together we have been called into something that God actually, we get, we get to steward God's budget. We get to manage how God spends his budget, right? That's incredible. When God goes, well actually we need to fund this, so how are we going to do it? And they go, okay, well, you know, I guess we, we need to get, we need to get it out there. We need to, you know, we, we, we have to think in those practical terms. This isn't just about a good enterprise. This isn't just about a good idea. This isn't just about a, a, a nice charity, right? This is about the kingdom of God advancing and actually being 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 able to tap into the resources of heaven. If we've been seated in heavenly places and the plenty of God tells us that God has everything in the world and it is all his and at his disposal then actually we have absolute um we have absolute possible access to be able to say god uh i need some help with this i need you to step in and do this right and actually jesus says in the gospels you don't have because you don't ask 
And I think as we as Christians understand our position here, seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father, that gives us incredible access. Now what we have to understand is, it's not necessarily just because we want it, it's because it's God's plan and God's purpose. As I said right at the beginning, there are those seasons where God calls us into seasons of need. Into seasons where we don't necessarily have everything that we need. And at those times it's important that we cling to him. That actually he refines our character and we work through who we truly are. Our true identity is dependent on him. Thank you my two wonderful volunteers. Um, Cheers. And so... If we turn back to Philippians 4, uh, verses 10 uh, to 13 again. I'm going to read these verses again. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul's saying, I am to be content. I am to understand who my identity is in. Your gift is very welcome. Your, your, your gift of support for me is, is wonderful, is beautiful. It demonstrates a generosity. It demonstrates an overflow of what God's given you. But he says, I've learned to be content. I'm not going to lose my peace. I'm not going to lose my faith over these things. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The secret is that he can do all things through him who strengthens him. The one who strengthens him, the one who supports him, the one who supplies every need, the one who resources him, the one who gives without expecting return, the one who gives um, in order to, to, for him, for Paul to accomplish all that God has called him to. And that is the inheritance that we walk into. When, when, when in 1 Peter it says that we, we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, that's what he's talking about. That actually we have direct access to the King of Kings and we have, we have unlimited resources at our disposal. The question now is, is it in line with God's will? Is this what God would have us do now? Right? Because it can be really, it can be really, um, poignant to know that actually there's a lot of need out there. And one of the questions that even we as elders often ask is, is this God's timing? Is this right for X, Y, Z? Do we need to review uh, what we're doing here? Do we need to think about where the money's going there? Do we need to worry about these things? Do we need to scale back? Do we need to ramp it up? And it's all in accordance with what God's doing. It's all in accordance with his will. It's all in accordance with his plan and his purpose. Because the reality is we can't just charge ahead. We don't have the license. If they're God's resources, then we have to do it in accordance with his plan, with his purpose and with his will. The mystery is that he would call us into that relationship and journey it with us and walk it with us. Now there's a couple of pitfalls at this point that we could potentially fall into um, and I just want to highlight them. Um, So Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. 
Um, I think there's probably two ways that we can take that. I think one of them is the more obvious, um, and that actually, in, in not wanting, in uh, if we wanted to serve uh, money, then actually we can be consumed with a greed or a desire for more that we could just want to amass and just, if you like, pool all of our resources and build our own mini empires. The second one, I think, perhaps not quite so obvious, but I think is actually in our lack, we can start to panic and we can start to let the money situation rule us and we can start to come under that and not actually believe that God can supply every need and not actually believe that God can and will bring, come through for us and actually provide all that he said he would according to his purpose and his will. Um, and I think those are two ways that actually we, we can find ourselves serving money um, without actually necessarily realizing it. Um, and also, um, I want to pick up on uh, a verse in 1 Timothy uh, 6, uh, our last verse. You may want to turn there. Um, but 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 uh, to 10. Uh, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. That's exactly what Paul's saying in Philippians 4. I've learned to be content in all situations. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. Those who desire to pull these resources, who look to, for their own gain, who look for, to amass their own possessions and material things um, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The money itself is not evil, but it's a root of all kinds of evil. Where it leads to, where it ends up, is in all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Um, the money itself actually is an incredible resource that we can use and steward according to God's plan and purpose. But if, if, if we allow it to take root in our heart, it can begin to consume us. And at that point it becomes very dangerous and according to 1 Timothy it will ruin us. Finally then, uh, I guess what's the application of this? Um, in my preparation, I've written the application about six or seven times because um, <laughs> I think the reality is it could go any direction, right? But I think fundamentally what God wants to teach us about money is our identity and therefore where does our security lie? Who has God made us to be and what has he called us to do? And, and out of that, to live lives of faith, to partner with one another so that when people are facing hardship and difficulty, if you can't resource it, then pray with them. Stand with them. If you can resource it, there's a direct application there, right? To step in and meet the need. And I think actually... That's what we have to do, really, is we have to search our own hearts, we have to search our own motives, and we have to ask ourselves, God, what are you calling me to in this season? What is it for me now? Uh, where am I on the scale of things in terms of am I in plenty? Can I bless others? Can I give? Um, or am I in need? Do I need to just think carefully and cautiously? And that's not to say not giving at all, but what it is to say is actually perhaps you need God to come through in something. Perhaps you need God to act on your behalf Perhaps you need God to say, this is part of my plan. 
there you go. And I think as a church, we've really got to hold that tension. And I think God's call to us as a church is to correct the imbalance through checking the injustice or, or sometimes the sin that can be in our own lives that we'll want to seek to hold on to things, that we'll want to seek to amass things, pull resources instead of blessing those around us and giving to those around us. I know it's not necessarily nice to hear. Nobody likes talking about money, right? Um, but the reality is that actually those of us that do have more, the call is on us to give. The call is on us to bless those around us. I always make, try and make it a practice of my own um, to, to try and bless wherever I can um, and actually always try and be the first one to offer. Um, not because actually I... And fantastically wealthy, but actually because I think it says something about your heart. I think it says something about giving into what God's doing and saying, do you know what, I'm going to make a stand and I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to, I'm going to give and that's it and that's fine. Um, and I think, I think, you know, some of, for some of us, that's a very real, uh, I think that's a very real thing. That actually I think we, we need to cultivate a, a, a culture of generosity. I think we need to cultivate something, of, uh, but not from a place of, of, of having to do it, but from a place of our security and who God has called us to be. Um, I'm going to pray. Um, why don't you jump to your feet? Um, if the band would like to come up. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you search the heart. Lord, thank you that you deal with uh, the inner depths of our being. Lord, thank you that you, Lord, thank you that you aren't just con- concerned with us ticking a load of boxes and you aren't concerned with us just looking the part. But Lord, you want to make us the part. Lord, you want to transform our hearts. Lord, thank you that you um, continue to transform our lives. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would give us um, an incredible capacity to believe you, God, for all the things that you've called us to corporately as a church, but individually as well. Lord Jesus, that we would have um, incredible faith, Lord, for what you're doing. And that, Lord, out of the security, out of the identity, out of the fact that you have called us not just into your inner courts, but you've placed us at the right hand Lord we pray out of that place God would we live in abundance Lord would we live lives that are abundantly fruitful and abundantly blessing Lord to those around us Lord to the community uh, around us to North London we pray Lord would you do something incredible in your precious name Thank you. Amen